I don't mind doing the accent if it's for dramatic purposes, if it's specifically for a character that is actually from India. And then you do like a very, you know, authentic type accent. That's actually really fun. But when it's for a joke, it's like, I'm never going to do that. Welcome back to Cultured or Nah. I'm Shabnam. And I'm Khan. We're fans of desiness, mixing up historical facts with some uncultured opinions. Today, we're talking about a fun topic, the rise of South Asian stories in Hollywood. 2019 to 2020 has seen a fundamental shift in the stories that we saw portrayed on screen. We've had everything from Indian produced content like Sacred Games and Made in Heaven premiering on Netflix and Amazon Prime as shows that took off in popularity. And then we've also had these stories that are told by Indian Americans in a range of formats like Homecoming King by Hassan Minaj and Never Have I Ever by Mindy Kaling and Louis Lang as content that told the stories of what it was like to grow up as a brown kid in America. I think the first time we saw content from mainstream consumption that focused on an Indian American individual and showed scenes from the family life was 2015 with Aziz Ansari's Master of None. But of course, we seem to be in a bit of a golden age, not just for people of Desi origin, but for people of color all over. So there's undeniably been a monumental shift um, this year and across the past couple of years on what kind of representation we see across platform to the point where we've even had mainstream reality TV shows like Indian Matchmaking and Family Karma this year. So clearly a lot is going on in the industry. And I would say in a lot of ways, there's a convergence happening between content that's produced in America and content that's produced in India to the point where lines seem to be blurred on what it is to be American content versus Indian content anymore. There's a lot going on in the industry today, and we're super excited to jump into this content with you guys. Um, so we're joined today by two people working in the industry, Sujatha Day and Rajiv Menon, who are hopefully going to tell us a little bit more about what's actually caused this level of change in the entertainment industry. You may recognize Sujatha from her role as Cece in Awkward Black Girl and Sarah from We Got Y'all in Insecure. Sujatha is going to tell us more about her latest film, Definition Please, Please which she directed, wrote, produced, and starred in. Rajiv Menon is a creator, producer, and content strategist, mostly working in unscripted and documentary series, currently developing co-producing programs with ITV Studios in Los Angeles and Bulldog Media in Mumbai. He's interested in stories that bridge South Asian and North American entertainment markets. So thanks so much, Sajatha and Rajiv, for joining us today. How are you guys? I'm good. Thanks for having us. Doing great. Of course. Yeah, awesome. I remember saying how one of our last coffees in person before COVID was to the two of us. <laughs> Here we are again. Phil's coffee Arriving. in Los Angeles, baby. <laughs> oh, Phil's is the best. Just I feel like one of the first times... Oh, yeah, we, I feel like one yeah, of the yeah. first times we met, it was at Phil's Coffee, too. <laughs> I was just going to say that, too. One of the first times we met was at a Phil's Coffee, as well. But that's, like, mostly just because Phil's is, like, so omnipresent and so clutch and like the mint mojito gets me every time. So I feel like that's what I go for. <laughs> and that is You should have this podcast be sponsored by Phil's coffee. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I'm going to reach out immediately and be like, please sponsor this podcast. We just advertised you quite a bit. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's great to have you both on. Can you tell us a bit more about your background, Rajiv and Sajatha? Rajiv, go ahead. Stop it. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, so I started working in entertainment after kind of a circuitous path. I actually started by getting my PhD at NYU, 
where my research was on entertainment and pop culture uh, between India and the US. And at the time, I figured I was just like so obsessed with film and TV that I needed to like find some way to get paid to just obsess over it. And <laughs> at first, grad school and a PhD route felt like the best way to do that. And then being in New York, I quickly realized that what I really wanted to do was actually work in the industry. Uh, so I sort of started on the corporate side and worked in media strategy and quickly found kind of a, a niche in content development strategy. So I started working with networks and studios on like big cultural ideas and themes that they could then use to develop their their slate and the types of shows they were putting out there. Uh, from there, I moved to LA, uh, kept doing that, uh, worked for Civic Entertainment Group, which is part of Ryan Seacrest's uh, global network. And then uh, about two and a half years ago, went out on my own to start my own production company, focusing mostly on docu-series and unscripted work. That kind of was a nice full circle back to my research days from academia. And that's where I am now. Awesome. Wow, that's sick. I'm so impressed how you just like, just pursued your career like that and just like, yeah, boom, just got your own production company. I love that, man. <laughs> it, yeah, it makes it sound easier, but it was a long path and I feel like it was my entire 20s to get to right here. And, and now it still feels like just the starting point yeah. to now like actually start building stuff up and getting projects sold. So the journey never ends. Awesome, it's man. So, it's so interesting to me that you got your PhD because I feel like that's something that Indian parents really... <laughs> really push for it like I mean I have an engineering degree and it's like we're both in entertainment and like okay so we we both did this other thing and then now we're doing entertainment my parents uh tell people I'm a doctor and then hope there are zero follow-up questions that's that's kind of the way <laughs> that goes that is literally what I was about to say like you ticked off the doctor route and everything man you got it sorted <laughs> I love that yeah, so I, I grew up in a small town called Greensburg, Pennsylvania. It's a, an hour outside of Pittsburgh. And I grew up doing a lot of arts hobbies. You know, I was mm -hmm. doing Parthenathium at the temple every Sunday. And I was dancing a lot. I was singing a lot. I was doing musicals and plays throughout middle school and high school. But on the other side of it, I was also really good at math and science. So I pursued that as well. So I did well on the AP Calc exam and I went to Case Western for college to, like I said, get my engineering degree. And then I studied abroad in Sydney, Australia. And I realized there that what I wanted to do was move to LA and really pursue acting professionally. Yeah. And in the meantime, I was also writing, I was writing songs, I was writing short stories. And when I got back to Case Western, um, I took a semester of playwriting and a semester of screenwriting. So I was getting the basics from there. And then I got a job with a consulting firm called Accenture. And they moved me out to Los Angeles after I graduated. And it was, perfect because with consulting you don't have to work unless you're placed on a project and I just tried to never get placed on a project <laughs> and I would audition and get my headshots taken and meet with agents and so for a year I worked at Accenture but I was in Los Angeles in the middle of it all yeah. and um, after that year I got laid off which was actually really great <laughs> And, and I got severance and unemployment. And then about 
eight to 10 months later, I booked three national commercials in a row. And then a couple, like a year or so later, I booked Awkward Black Girl and started working with Issa Rae on her web series there. Mm -hmm. And then from there, went to Insecure. And then just recently, you know, wrote, produced, directed, and starred in my first feature, Definition Please. Awesome. Yeah, I think, Sujatha, I just want to take this moment to call out, actually, that your story is inspiring for me personally, but I think it's inspiring for, I want to say like millions of brown girls in America, right? I think like we all grow up very similarly, like doing the Bharatanatyam classes or like in my case, the Odissi classes and like growing up singing, dancing, like doing all these like arts things. And then of course there's this push of like, or like you kind of know that all your passions, you have, they have an expiration at some point because it's all like your parents seem to tell you like, okay, these things are hobbies, but we want you to be so cultured in so many different ways and learn all these different talents. But then of course you need to like grow up and do the real world thing of like getting this job that you're supposed to have. And I feel like I personally went through that as well, where like, I think you guys all know, like I took a year off to pursue Bollywood full-time, then came back, did the consulting job I was supposed to do. And then of course in New York, I was constantly like going to auditions, like in my lunch breaks or like doing acting school at night after, after work ended. And I feel like this is the hustle that like a lot of us go through. And I just want to commend the fact that like you were actually courageous enough to break out of the, the, the just like trying to do it as just a side gig and like take the leap and do it as like a full-time thing and like make it work. Well, like Rajiv said, it's, it's not easy and it yeah. takes a lot of time. It takes years and years. And even if you do move out to let's say Los Angeles or New York at the age of eight, 18 or 21, it's still going to take so long yeah. to yeah. build your networks, to get to know people, to, keep going back into that casting office year after year and finally booking that job like seven or eight years later, like yeah. a two liner role, you know? For sure. Yeah. And, and on Rajiv's side of things in terms of like pitching and meeting with creators, you know, that is also building relationships. You know, the shows yeah. that I sell are with people that I've known for like the past eight or nine years, you know, they're not people that I'm meeting for the first time. So I think something that, just in general, people seem to, you know, you can't just move to LA and move to New York and become a star in six months. Like that's yeah. just not going to So, you know, you have to remember that Shonda Rhimes wrote Crossroads, the Britney Spears movie. Does anybody remember that? You know, <laughs> like she was writing random movies like back in the day and now she is who she is, but it's because she stayed and persevered and kept working and kept making those relationships. Yeah, for sure. And I think like a lot of that resonates because I think like all of it is sort of like you said, like an uphill battle. And I think like people used to joke with me like, oh, it must be so exciting to be an actress. And I'm like, it's the worst. Honestly, my job title right now is professional reject. Like every day I wake up, I dress up, I go to this audition, I don't get it. And then I come back and then I have to somehow find the motivation to do it again. And I feel like, yeah, I think, and, and I think people always think that there's some sort of like beauty to the hustle. Cause it's like, oh, it's all part of the story. But the fact of like persevering through it for like seven or eight 
eight years until you see like material movement is like the part that like is never told in the stories right because like even in like movies when they're showing these montages of like people finally making it in entertainment you don't have a sense of the time it takes to actually like go through that and like sit through it and i have to say i sold out i joined like tech full-time and like now i'm trying to find my way back to entertainment but it's it's it was really hard and, and that's why I, I just want to commend you guys for actually staying in it shabnam you were doing it in india too which ha carries a whole other level of emotional difficulty yeah. <laughs> I, I forgot to mention i'm before the pandemic i was splitting my time between bombay and la and i really got to see firsthand how difficult that sense of, of rejection and the sort of hustle of the day-to-day -day of the industry there can be. So, I mean, like that's commendable in itself for having endured that. I mean, Bollywood slash India sounds impossible to break through because I feel like you just have to be a part of one of those dynasty families to get any kind of foot into the door. Really? Yeah. Is it that bad, do you reckon? <laughs> it's a really big, yeah. Shabnam Pinda probably speak to this more. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Rajiv can as well. It's it's hard because it's very nice to like know people to get in, but it's just, it's it's hard to get a foot in the door. And there's a lot of creeps that you meet along the way that try to take advantage of you in a variety of ways. Like, and in some ways I do get upset that the Me Too movement in Bombay was only um, sparked after the Me Too movement in LA. But like, I just want to say like, yeah, it's it's difficult to the extreme. And, and there's a lot of... Um, there's, there's just a lot that goes through it where you have to network your ass off, frankly. And then like, even then you're not gonna have the same opportunities as people that have like grown up there and are part of these families. But the nice thing that's changing now is, and not to get ahead, but like as streaming opportunities are coming in and there's more storytelling, the sort of citadel of like Bollywood is yeah. expanding and it's not just about the film industry, but really about all kinds of storytelling. And hopefully that'll, That'll open new opportunities. For sure. I'm so excited about it, actually. So from from your opinion then, so what sort of Asian or sorry, South Asian influences have you like you found in your directorial styles? Um and I guess that's to both of you really. Okay, I'll, I'll go. <laughs> um so I grew up actually not watching a ton of Bollywood films just because I'm Bengali. So that's the language that I'm fluent in. And I watched a lot of Bengali films growing up. So Sakajitre was one of the first filmmakers out of India that I was introduced to. And, and I can watch his movies without subtitles, which is really exciting. And, and I was just blown away by all of his work, every single movie, every single film, and, you know, Opur Shangshar and the trilogy, and then also Devi, and all of these films that really had these female lead characters mm -hmm. who lived in villages and was so grounded and so real and so gorgeously shot. And these stories were lovely to watch. And it was really fun to my parents were always like you know Bengalis we're the poets of India you know we're the artists <laughs> always say stuff like that and I would start I would believe it I'm like oh we're like we're like descended from poets and so um I love watching Sethiji Thray films and you know more recently I uh like Monsoon Wedding was a huge inspiration for me I loved how um Mira Nair kind of juggled comedy and drama in that movie which which is what I love to do in my work and I, I thought it was shot so beautifully and it was it tackled a lot of taboo topics in terms of South Asian culture that mm -hmm. I appreciated 
And, and it was also cool that like the entire world embraced this film, which, yeah. which was not normal. You know, so it was like, you would talk to white people and they'd be like, oh yeah, Monsoon Wedding. And I'd be like, oh my God, we can talk about Monsoon Wedding. So that was, that was kind of the first time where I was like, oh, this is like turning into a global culture. Yeah. And so those two people in terms of South Asians have really influenced me in my storytelling. Amazing. Wow, I love that, man. Roger. Yeah, Monsoon Wedding is a really, really special movie. I think there's nothing else out of it that just like so captures the globalness that often comes with like being Indian and like a global family coming together. And just like the feeling, that abstract sort of just like spirit of excitement and celebration that's actually happening at a wedding. Um, so just to piggyback off that, Mira Nair's work. It also has that like Downton Abbey feel of like, like oh, totally, we're yeah. like so invested in this other story of like the wedding planner and who his romantic interest is, you know? And I was just yeah. like, wow, that was, that was really lovely. I recently rewatched it and I felt like there were so many things. Cause I feel like when it came out, it, we were kind of young and I feel like I didn't get it because to me, I think I was thinking I'm watching on a big screen cause we saw it in theaters. I'm watching on a big screen, brown people on screen, right? So I assumed it was gonna be like Bollywood as a child and then it wasn't at all. And then I was thinking like, I don't get this movie. And then I just recently like rewatched it. And that's when like all those layers sort of like were so appealing to me. Cause I'm like, this is what we never talk about. I think like in authentically almost like in Indian stories, and, and maybe this is back to my point of what is Indian, what is American, or what is Western anymore. But in a lot of like maybe like mainstream Bollywood content, you don't get into the stories of like what is going on with like maybe like the servant class of people. But I feel like what I love about like the monsoon wedding is like it's about all the different layers of society. Yeah, totally. So, um, so but, is sorry, is that an is it like an English film or like as in a, it's what, mixed? It's English and English, Hindi, Punjabi, like just proper it like really is just like how you would expect an actual wedding to feel like that where people are just like switching between languages and it's like in a very specific like upper middle class deli milieu so it feels very true to that um but it's definitely not like a bollywood film like not a yeah. not a fantasy musical like it's rooted in a certain <laughs> sense of realism yeah. um but beyond Mirnair, i think sajatha and i have similar backgrounds and maybe it's because sajatha is bengali and i'm malayali and with the two of us tend to get along that way because we just like love fish and poetry and literature and i think that actually very similarly was like my background coming into the arts it was really through the literary world um so it was about reading like arnati roy and salman rushdie and i remember mm -hmm. the first time i read jumpa larry it just like changed my life where i'm still rereading like, it over and over <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like all the time, I'll just like pick up yeah. interpreter maladies or the namesake because those were some of the first works of fiction that really thought to think about like the textures of our emotional lives in America yeah. in a way that was humanizing and like filled with so much pathos and like gut wrenching, yeah. but also just like so beautifully readable. And that that just initially got me into the world of being like, wow, this is the kind of stuff I want to make. I really want to put stuff out there that helps people not only feel seen and feel represented, but also really, really deeply moved. And so from that, I, I started reading a lot of nonfiction as well. There's a lot of really cool social science stuff out there about just South Asian themes. And I started just discovering all these different types of experiences and communities and cultures that I wouldn't have otherwise. And, and that path took me to where I am now, I think. 
Amazing. Yeah. I feel like I always say about Jumba, like she gets me in a way that I feel like no one else does. And I, and I find myself like consistently over the years going back to like reading it. And every time I read it every like five years or so, or every two or three years, like I picked up interpreter melodies again, picked up unaccustomed earth again. And I'm like, there's just something about the way she writes that I just like, as I grow, especially as I grow, I feel I'm like just being an Indian American woman, she just like really gets it. And, and, and I'm always just like hoping that like, this is the way I can write someday, you know, she's been like such an inspiration for me. I, I just think about the way that like, for like white kids growing up would watch stuff like Friends and be like, oh, that's what it's going to be like when I'm yeah. an adult. I remember just like reading interpreter melodies and being like, yeah, I'm going to be in my late twenties having like melancholy dinners, <laughs> like thinking about like identity and, and eating Portuguese food and being bougie, but also really sad. Like, this is how this is going to go for sure. But Rajiv, I feel like you've accomplished that because when like, okay, I have to say Rajiv's apartment in LA is like one of the best places I've ever been. Like, I feel like it, it to me was like being like a, like what I would imagine as like a grown up kids, like if you're interested in identity and if you're interested in South Asian topics, it's like Disney World for you. Cause like I went in and I'm like looking at his bookshelf being like, can I borrow this? Can I borrow that? Can I borrow that? To the point where there's like still books that I haven't given back to Rajiv. Sorry about that. It's because of COVID and no I'm like misplaced from California. But like, I have to say like, this is like, you are adulting so well. And so like, I imagine that if this is what you wanted to be, like you've achieved it. Thank you. My, my 16 year old self is thrilled to hear that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so like, in you guys' opinion, what's changed in the last five years that's allowed um, South Asian stories by South Asians to be told? Uh, I would say the, the streamers. And that has been the biggest, biggest change. And thank God, thank God, because the studios were just starting to, you know, they can only release five films a year. So four of them are going to be Marvel and you know, the other one is going to be a family drama starring Kate Blanchett and Brad Pitt. <laughs> so, so thankfully, these streamers came out and just really took over the industry and yeah. made it completely global. And uh, I mean, Rajiv can speak to it a lot more. Uh, they're just way more open in terms of taking chances on newer voices, first-time filmmakers, um, and stories that have never been told before. Whereas studios can't even take those meetings because financially they can't put money into, you know, a, a young Black woman who has a story about growing up somewhere in America. You know, they just don't have the budget for that, and they don't see it financially viable whereas a streamer is like oh wait we we do have this subsection of an audience that would be interested in that story so yeah we'll put some money into that story which is which is really exciting so that that i think is the the biggest change that has happened and sorry when you say the streamers like and, and they are you referring to like the netflixes of the world or are you referring to more like youtube and and the small like companies that are coming out of that really I'm definitely talking about Netflix and okay. Hulu and Amazon and YouTube is certainly a part of that because I think what happened with YouTube and this was how Awkward Black Girl spread like wildfire where, you know, no network or studio was making a show starring a black woman who was awkward. And then 
we discovered this audience that was hungry for it, you know, mm -hmm. and it was because of YouTube. And something that's really exciting about a place like YouTube is there are so many um, new creators that came out of there. And, and I see that happening also with the newer social medias, like a TikTok, where I'm watching Indian kids dance and you know, lip sync with their parents and grandparents and I'm loving it, you know? So, so definitely like social media is also a part of it as well. Yeah. The YouTube TikTok piece of it is huge because those are the first sort of platforms that really let us tell our stories on our terms. Mm -hmm. And so for young kids who only know that they have a totally different conception of representation than, than we do, especially like millennials, because we grew up when there was just that absence. And so much yeah. of our artistic sensibility has been about wanting to sort of address and, and ameliorate that absence. Whereas for them, they just can log on to TikTok and see on their For You page, like a million videos that are hyper tailored to their experience. And I, I mean, just to echo what Sajatha is saying about how digital platforms and streamers specifically have opened the door because they have that global audience and because an Indian experience in America might actually resonate with other people in the diaspora in other markets or in South Asia itself. And all of that really has opened the door for us to talk about our identity or our experience in a way that feels true to what we want to say versus what the assumed audience in America wants to hear. And so if you think back, like when we first started to see lots of South Asian characters on broadcast TV, so like, mid-aughts, especially in like NBC and like Parks yeah. and Recreation and The Office. And you had this moment where there were all these Indian American supporting characters, mm -hmm. but they had to go so out of their way to prove their Americanness. Like yeah. it is such a cliche of, of that era. Like ev I can almost name like every one of those shows has some throwaway joke about the brown character being just as American as anyone else or like really having to like bend over backwards to be like, I'm not foreign. Or and even now, to just, like, their names, right? Like, Jonathan on, like, uh, 30 Rock. Like, he's clearly Indian, but his name is Jonathan. Or, like, Mindy on The Office. Her name is Kelly. Like, it's just, like, they're constantly trying to have to, like, subdue that part of their identity in some way. Totally. And now when you have streamers and you have an audience that just goes beyond that assumed, like, white, uh, sort of, like, middle-class Christian audience of the U.S., you don't have to do that much work and you don't have to subdue what otherwise might be authentic storytelling for the sake of, of being palatable. For sure, yeah. And definitely. I, I, think we, I think we touched on it slightly. Um, but Sajata, tell me a little bit about, like, when you started your career on Awkward Black Girl, like, how, how was that for you? Like, how was, like, what, what sort of drove you to that? Like, and sort of how the audition process was and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I met Issa on Twitter. Nice. And this was oh, wow. about eight or nine years ago. I was ahead of the game because I ditched my Facebook. This is when I ditched my Facebook. <laughs> shut it down because I was like, there's something fishy about this site. I don't know if I'm allowed to be part of this conversation anymore, Sajatha. <laughs> uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Listen, I still have a fan page on Facebook. <laughs> Okay. You can like it. You can like it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I ditched my Facebook and I was like, okay, I need a new social media, obviously, to keep in touch with people. And I saw Twitter was a thing and it obviously isn't, it wasn't what it is today. Yeah. But I, you know, I made my Twitter profile and then I started following uh, a person at Film D TV Diversity. 
mm-hmm. whose name is Joshua in real life. And he would tweet out people to follow. So he would tweet out producers, directors, writers, you know, actors. And I, I would just follow all of them because I was like, I don't really know how Twitter works. I'm just going to follow everybody. And Issa was one of them. So then she followed me back. And this was when we both had like 20 followers at the time. And then she tweeted out a couple days later, hey, I'm looking for a mixed looking girl to play my best friend on a web series. And I wrote to her and I said, I'm not mixed, but this is my picture. This is what I look like. Let me know. And then she had me come in audition and I pulled up to a house, which was like super shady because you never want to audition at a, at a house. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> um, unless you're in Bombay, in which case you no, audition in people's apartments all the time. <laughs> oh God. Like, I was like, oh my God, it's going to be bad. And then I was ready to drive away actually. And Issa came out on the phone and she just like walked outside. I was like, oh, okay, well, it's a girl. How bad, you know, what could happen? Which is still not the right attitude to have when you <laughs> well, So you then, it, I can take her. Like, it's fine. I'm, I'm safe. And so went in, did the audition, left. A couple hours later, she was like, you got the job. And I was like, great. It's a zero pay web series. <laughs> So then, uh, like two weeks later, I went to her dad's doctor's office in Inglewood to shoot the hallway scene, which I don't know if you remember, but it's like the third or fourth episode of the first season of Awkward Black Girl. And it was, her brother was there with a camera and the microphone was attached to the, or the, yeah, the microphone was attached to the camera. And that was it. It was the three of us. And we shot the scene in like 20 minutes. And then I let, and she was like, Isa was like, thank you. And then I left and I was like, what did I just get myself into? Like, what? <laughs> and then of course, you know, we kept shooting on the weekends and it blew up. It just, we watched it blow up in real time with the comments and the spreading and it going viral. And we were all just like, what is going on? Because also the other thing that people don't realize is Issa's third web series. So it wasn't like she like went up to bat with her first web series and was like, oh, it went viral. You know, this is still like the work she had to put in yeah, in terms yeah. of like, okay, third web series. And then, you know, we had a Kickstarter episode seven and the Kickstarter went bonkers and we got more money than we asked for. And then Pharrell came on board as producer of second season. Wow. And then um, we just started to get a lot of press and and it was really great and then at the end of the second season Issa signed a deal with HBO and then once again time it took so much time three years later after she signed that deal at HBO is when they greenlit the pilot episode Mm -hmm. so you know it still took a bunch of time a bunch of work and um then Issa called me to be in the pilot of Insecure and that was really great. She was like, hey, there's like a, there's a character, you know, she'll, she'll grow a little bit more and like throughout the series, just seeing if you want to. And I was like, yes, of course, of course I want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then that was it. And that's how, that's how we became friends. Oh, that's so nice. No, that's amazing. That is actually crazy how it just came from Twitter with 20 followers 
to to being on HBO. Like bloody hell, it blows my mind. Honestly, wow. Yeah, but I think like to your point, right, Sajatha, it's like it, it sounds so great when you tell it in retrospect, but then like the day-to-day hustle and the fact that it took like those three years, even between like the show getting picked up to getting produced to airing, it's like I think like maybe that's the part that like a lot of people that aren't in the industry don't always realize because when you read people's stories in a magazine or like on like, you know, just like watch a YouTube interview with them, it all sounds so great. But I think like the hustle is like what's what's the really hard part about it. And I don't know if this happened to you, but I think what I'm particularly curious about with you, Sajatha, is like when I was auditioning in New York, I felt like one of my main struggles was not like fitting into a certain mold of what people think should be like quote unquote Indian girl. And so I felt like I would go on these auditions and I would get told like, you don't look Indian enough. And I'm like, what does that mean? Or like, they'd just be like, maybe you can play like, an, I've played an Israeli character in, a, in like a short film before. I've played like a Latina character. I've actually never played an Indian girl like in American produced content. But I think it's because I never like fit the mold of like what I'm supposed to look like as an Indian girl or the way I'm supposed to behave. Did you find that like those were some of your challenges like throughout the audition process and then as well like going into that like I guess like your own identity and how you perceived yourself like name changing or anything else that you felt like along the way how did all that come about? So I definitely you know when I first got here definitely was auditioning for a lot of stereotypical roles would have to do the accent and don't get me wrong I don't mind doing the accent if it's for dramatic purposes if it's specifically for a character that is actually from India and then you do like a very you know authentic type accent that's actually really fun but when it's for a joke it's like I'm never gonna do that and so I was you know auditioning for a lot of comedies where I would have to do the accent I'm like I feel like I don't need to do an accent here you know but I would just do it because at that time like you don't have any you know, you don't have any leverage. You just want to book jobs and you just want to build up your resume and get your reel going. And, and I would also be auditioning for like, like you said, like Latinx characters or, you know, Muslim characters where they would want me coming in wearing a hijab. And then I would have to watch a YouTube video to like learn how to put on a hijab. (laughs) And, And I was just like, I have no idea. And, um, then, yeah, I think what I learned, luckily, I got into Awkward Black Girl pretty early on, and and I could see that you had to create your own content. So yeah. that was right in front of me. And Issa was always telling all of us, the cast and the crew, to be just like, you got to create your own stuff. You know, like, you're just not going to, you know, people aren't going to give you that chance. You mm-hmm. got to give yourself the chance. So... I, I found out early on that I would have to write my own characters and play them if, if I wanted to play any kind of authentic version of myself because these characters that I was, you know, given the chance to audition for were just like not, I don't know, they were either, you know, two liners or, or something just that just totally was offensive where, you know, I'm not trying to go out there and play a Latina, you know? So, so I, I really started creating and writing almost off the bat because I knew that was, that was going to be the way. And what about you, Rajiv? Yeah. I mean, I think I definitely experienced something similar where I was looking to see what types of representation were out there and 
what wasn't being seen. And, and one of the first things I noticed, especially within the documentary unscripted space, was that there were a lot of storytelling about like India as subject. And India itself has this very rich documentary filmmaking tradition, but there wasn't a lot of engagement of South Asian stories, not only just like in the reality TV space, which we saw this year with like Family Karma and Indian matchmaking, but also in spaces like lifestyle and travel. And, and that was really interesting to me to be like, how do we bring our stories into formats that are also about sort of like fun and accessibility and, and aspiration and all these other values that are kind of intrinsic to the entertainment world. And so around the time when I first moved to LA, I developed and started pitching a travel series, which is currently in development, but because of uh, the pandemic, it's been a little bit tough, but Nonetheless, I've gotten a lot of momentum around it because it was a way of looking at the diaspora through the format of travel. So mm -hmm. in this series, we'll go to different cities across the world and see how Indian communities and Indian people have reshaped those. And oh. I was always really inspired by Anthony Bourdain uh, specifically. Okay. And to sort of think about how that kind of travel format could then work to tell our stories was, was something that was really interesting to me. And, and luckily, I was able to find interest here in Hollywood and get the sort of support and financing I needed to at least get it off the ground and get it started. Uh -huh. uh, and then from there in, in all my work, I really tried to do the same spirit that Jeff is discussing, um, really try to find the stories that weren't being told and make sure that they're made. And so for me, a lot of that has been about sort of like global ways of being Indian and looking at connections between the homeland and, and America. Uh, I'm working a lot right now at looking at entertainment worlds in India and, and bringing together my research on the entertainment markets to think about like how content is made there. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, a uh, couple projects I have in early stages of development right now, look at the way that Indian culture has evolved in America and how that sort of affected our, our lives growing up. Uh, so really thinking a lot about the second and the third generation of Indian Americans and how we interpret what it means to be Indian. So I have a few docu-series that are kind of speaking to that space as well, but, but all around just trying to think of how the documentary and unscripted format can really serve elevating and, and amplifying our stories that have otherwise kind of just been lost to the screen. Yeah, I think what Rajiv is doing is really important because I feel like we, we within our diaspora have such a diversity of stories. Yeah. So, you know, I'm looking for that like, I want to watch that horror movie. I want to, like, who's our Tyler Perry? Who is, you know, who is, uh, people have their opinions about Indian matchmaking. And what I love about Indian matchmaking is it is showing Western audiences that, you know, there is this, like, really modern, you know, generation of, of Indians and that they had never seen before. They were like, oh, I didn't know India was like that. I didn't know Indians, you know, have these like closets full of clothes and, you know, we <laughs> care about the same things. Yeah. And so I thought that was really exciting about Indian matchmaking because we it, were always shown a different part of India from kind of a white savior point of view. And to, to see it through those kind of Indian matchmaking eyes was really special. And so you know, let's have the Indian matchmaking, but then let's have like, who's our Barry Jenkins, you know, who's our Ava DuVernay, but also who's our, I don't know, like Christopher Nolan. So we can have like all these types of creators and filmmakers and let's embrace all of them and not just think that we're a monolith. I love that point so much because 
form is so important to the way we tell stories. And I always think about what is the relationship between fiction and nonfiction. And when there aren't a lot of our stories being told, those individual stories take on so much representational burden. They have to stand in for so many different types of experiences. Whereas as we get to expand, not only the stories being told, but the way that they're being told, you get to really push the creative limits of, of what our community can offer, as opposed to simply being a way of, of elevating uh, experience of the screen and instead get to really flourish in the creativity that makes art interesting. Yeah, and actually that was going to be my point exactly, Rajiv, which is that I feel like because there's been such a dearth of content that showcases us, there is so much of a burden placed on whatever actually does make it and what sees the light of day. And I feel like this was, it was almost like a conscious conversation I had to have with myself, like an internal monologue, because I didn't watch Never Have I Ever, like when it came out for like a whole week. And I knew like, you know, like my social media was like blowing up about it. And I was thinking to myself, like, I feel like I'm not going to like it because it's not going to represent me and I had to constantly be like look it's not about you it's about one person's experience that doesn't mean it has to be your experience it's just someone's experience and like that's it it doesn't have to be representational of everyone the real problem here is that there's not more of these stories being told hence everyone thinks this one piece of content has to represent them in some way right and so I felt like this was like an internal monologue that I had to have with myself um, and then of course I watched it and then like, I liked it anyway, but like the point was that because everyone's placing all this burden, especially like there was a lot of backlash, myself included when Indian matchmaking first came out where I was like, I don't want to be showcased this way. Right. But again, it's not about me. It's about like the people that are on the show, their authentic stories. This is someone's reality. It may not be mine. That doesn't mean that it's not someone's reality. And, and you're describing an experience that's so endemic to being non-white in the U.S. or in the Western world. I'm sure this is equally true in the U.K. as well, Khan. Yeah, um, like W.B. Du Bois wrote about double consciousness, where you're constantly not only seeing yourself, but seeing yourself through the eyes of other people. Yeah. And we're already, Salvation specifically, are so hyper attuned to how we're being perceived by others because of just like often the, the way of our own social interactions. Uh, so because of that, we end up, being really hypercritical and self-censoring a lot of the time because we don't want to put out dirty laundry. We don't want to talk about difficult topics. And often when we do go into that, like even Monsoon Wedding faced this backlash, it's about putting difficult conversations out there. And often that's so important within art. And so being able to sort of free ourselves of that mentality and really be less self-critical, I think is one of the bigger opportunities as, as we evolve as storytellers. Yeah, and I think like in the UK as well, Khan, I was just going to ask you about this. Like, I feel like we've seen sort of something similar where there's like shows like, and sorry, I'm about to say your name like 36 times, but like Citizen Khan, Keeping Up With The Khans, like there's like been like so much content out there. And I feel like a lot of it was just kind of seen as like, I can't relate to this until something like Man Like Mobeen comes along, which is like a lot more relatable, a lot more authentic to like the stories that people are are um, wanting to tell because maybe they're not like almost in a sense like politically correctifying these stories for lack of a better term like they're not being like to, uh, like diluted in in like their authentic authenticity to cater to a non desi audience yeah definitely i mean with like with man like mobin i think i mean <laughs> obviously like let's let's hope there's less people like guz out there um like his character is on that show but uh and especially with his friends as well but I feel like it was relatable in terms of like the environment that he was in, like the family environment and like, you know, how he was like around, 
around Birmingham and sort of things like that. So that that was really, really interesting. And it was a sort of the first time we got to see that really um, within the UK, especially. Um, so yeah, I, I was super hyped when that came out. Um, and that's something that Gus worked on himself. So it was fantastic, to, fantastic to see. I, I think one of the questions I have for you guys is like, so you talked about representation, but how do you get the balance, I guess, between like representation and, and also showing like unique stories and, and, and making sure that you get that across? So I, I guess we'll, we'll push that to Rajiv first, considering you're talking about it. Uh, I think the other exciting thing about the expansion of conversation about representation is we're starting to look at our own blind spots. So one of the, the biggest topics of conversation right now is about the legacy of casteism in the diaspora mm -hmm. and how often the people telling the stories benefit from very ancient legacies of inequality. And I think really using forms like fiction and nonfiction to push our own understanding of that and to take ownership of the types of privileges we have, as well as spotlighting voices that have been completely erased because of casteism, because of colorism, because of classism, that's a sort of yet to be fulfilled project and something that, that all of us need to take collective responsibility for. Definitely. Working in the documentary space, I think that's one that's much more literal in terms of representation. You're really trying to take real life experiences and bring them to the screen in a way that feels authentic and, and relatively unmediated. Whereas, and I'll, I'll let Sujatha discuss this further, but then in fiction, you're really trying to create worlds and create new possibilities as well as, as bring to life real authentic experiences. And I think that distinction between the two forms is really one that I think shapes my work, but I, I know is a lot more uh, like difficult to balance in fiction. Yeah, in terms of representation, I don't really think about it when I'm doing my work because all of my stuff is told from a brown girl's point of view. So I guess that's already, I've already checked that box. So I never like go into, you know, let's say shooting my film definition, please. I wasn't like, oh, this is like representation. This is a film about representation. What I was trying to do, I wrote the script. I just told a very authentic, real story that I connected with. And then I, as I was casting it, you know, it was like about a South Asian American family. So I was obviously going to cast South Asian actors. And then with the love interest, I could have cast a white dude. Um, and, you know, we were throwing out names in terms of who we should cast for that role. And, and I just, you know, decided to text my friend, Jake Choi, and he happened to be Asian American. So once again, it was like, I wasn't thinking about representation, but it just, it, I guess it just happened, you know? And then even with casting my best friend character, uh, Lelaine plays that role. And she, if you remember her, if you ever watched Lizzie McGuire, she played Miranda. Yeah. Oh my McGuire. God, cool. And she is half Filipina. So she's a Hapa girl. And once again, I wasn't really thinking about representation, but that's what automatically starts to happen when you put a woman of color in charge. You know, who are the people that she knows? Who does she want to work with? You're just automatically going to fill your cast and crew in an inclusive way. And that's just what happened on my film. And so I, I never strive for representation, but I, I do, when I write my scripts, they're already from a very authentic, specific point of view. So that's how that kind of turns out. 
that's like a perfect segue into sort of like what we wanted to get into actually is like, tell us more about the film, um, the characters on your film and the role of the family as well. Yeah, so, so with my film, I mean, I, I won my fourth grade spelling bee and uh, <laughs> uh, wasn't really a big deal because there were only 10 other students in my class, but I went on to regionals and I lost in the first round on the word radish. I spelled it with two Ds instead of one. And I was devastated, but Mrs. Lewis, my teacher there was very kind and comforting. And so after that, I, I was kind of got into spelling bees and watching the ESPN spelling bee. And I noticed that every year it was a South Asian American kid winning the spelling bee. Even last year when we were on set shooting Definition Please, eight kids won the spelling bee and seven of the eight kids were Indian. So, then I was in a UCB sketch writing class and I wrote a sketch entitled, Where Are They Now? Spelling Bee Winners. And if you Google them, they're all doing amazing things. They have PhDs like Rajiv. They are engineers. They work at NASA. They are designing robots. And, you know, the button of my sketch was, okay, so one of these winner, winner kids turns out to be a loser and she still lives at home. She's got nothing going on in her life. And then I did the Sundance Screenwriting Lab in 2016. Once you do one of the labs, you become an alumni of the festival. And I went to Sundance Film Festival for the first time. My friend Justin Chan had his film Gook premiere there that year. And after I saw the film, I was blown away. And I was like, how did you get this made? Like, what did you do? And, and he was just like, I just went out and did it. I collected money from my friends and family and just did it. And so that was the impetus for me to start writing the feature film version of Definition Please, which was based on this four page sketch idea. And in terms of the story, yes, it was a, about a former spelling bee champion who is now an adult and still lives at home and tutors kids in her neighborhood. So she hasn't achieved much in her life but I wanted to explore why. And the why was answered with, you know, her relationships with her family, her relationship with her mom, and especially her relationship with her estranged brother. So I go into, you know, a lot of taboo topics that Rajiv had mentioned. So I go into mental illness. I go into, um, you know, stuff that Asian families just don't talk about in the open. And I wanted to, you know, just put it out there and uh, not be afraid to have that on screen. And then I, I wrote, like I started writing it, finished the script about 2018, started pitching it out to producers, got, got a good response from the script, but nobody was like, oh, it's greenlit, here's $20 million. That didn't happen. So, <laughs> so then I went back to Sundance in 2019 and Justin's, other film, Ms. Purple, was premiering there. And I was like, what am I doing with my time and my life? I need to get this film off the ground. And, and something kind of fate intervened. And I got, I had sold a TV show prior to a studio and they were releasing the rights back to me. And also it sent me a huge check in terms of releasing the rights back to me. And I was like, okay, so this is a sign. This happened while I was at Sundance, while I'm watching Ms. Purple. And so I was the first money into my movie. And then it was easier to get other investors on board. And 
you know, I was telling everyone I'm going to start shooting June 2019. If you want to come on board, come on board. If you don't, you're missing the train, you know? <laughs> so then uh, that's how kind of the journey of the film, of getting the film made happened. Wow. Okay. And, and what do you think have been like the biggest learnings uh, while making the film? I would say have the best people around you, have the, the most talented people around you so that they can help you do your job well. And I, I had a great crew, great producer and DP and um, lots of prep organized a ton. And then I was really lucky that I have a very close network of South Asian American f actor friends who I could just text to be in my film and I didn't have to do any kind of casting sessions because that would have taken up a lot of time and energy. And so I was just, you know, texting my friends, asking if they wanted to fly to Pennsylvania to be in my movie and all of them said yes. <laughs> so that was really exciting. And I would just say, yeah, just, you know, have a great cast and crew and make sure your collaborators are all on the same page as you. I think one of the things I've been so impressed by watching over the last few months, especially as it's coming to fruition, is not only are you writing, directing, producing, and starring, but now you're you're marketing. You're getting out there and you're like building the like everything behind it, and it it really is inspirational for how much you need to be in control of the story to get it out there. And I think like for for those of us who are just starting to get projects off the ground, and it really shows how invested you have to be and and how much you have to believe in your story. And I know. From talking to other people in the community, it's been really, really inspiring to watch. And we're all just so excited about this movie. I mean, Rajiv, thank you so much for noticing that. Because, because that has been a lot of work. And it's crazy because I'm the publicist, the social media coordinator, the sales agent, the film festival liaison. Like, I'm all these other things right now. And I'm like, how am I doing this? <laughs> But but it has been really fun because when you do get that, you know, that email back or that response back, they're like, yeah, I do want to cover your film or whatever. And then I'm like, oh, cool. You know, it's 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 very exciting. So there there hasn't been anything negative about it at all. But you're right. Like we, we need to be in so much control. And marketing is such a huge part of getting your film out there. And I think a lot of us are so you know married to our creative minds that we're like okay well if it's just a good movie it shouldn't matter but 50 percent of this town is about business and you know getting your stuff out there and what publications are covering your film and so i i think it's really important to be honest and to say like hey like you could have a decent movie but if you get no press on it nobody's gonna see it so it's important to do all the festivals to reach out to all the publications and just you know get 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 the story out there yeah to make it i guess in accessibly south asian terms a film or a show is a startup effectively you are launching a project off the ground there are so many different component parts you have to work and often it falls on one person's shoulder. So I think just to bring it full circle to back when we were, we were talking at the beginning of this conversation, the amount of work and time that goes into a labor of love, like a project like this is serious business. And I think that's why I think to be able to go into this industry, you got to really want it. I'm a big fan of the hustle and like, yeah, no, I appreciate that. Okay, no, it's amazing. 
And Rajiv, what about you? So you have been, for as long as I've known you, between Bombay and LA, which like is a horrific distance as it is. And then I think like you're one of those people that I, I feel like I'm constantly talking to you about like, Thaisis in Bombay are like this because we both like lived in Bombay or like British Thaisis are like this. And then like, then there's the New York life that we both lived and then there's the LA life. So how is, how do you think that that experience of like being in Bombay and LA has like fundamentally shaped your work? Really, it's doing the kind of like groundwork that Sajat is describing. So being in Bombay, I was working on specific projects. I was casting and doing like very tactical stuff for stuff that I'm working on. But it also was just like being present and meeting agents and people in the casting world, meeting other producers, um, meeting talent and, and emerging writers and all of that. And now to the point where I'm stuck in LA, we're in the middle of a pandemic, I can still like call people up and rap a little bit and figure out upcoming projects or work through that distance because of all that groundwork. And then similarly in LA, so much of it has been about just finding other people it can gel with and collaborate with um, and, and that constant ongoing process. So even while I'm kind of like homebound during this particular time, uh, that, that work continues. And I think that's going to be like a really essential part of, of a lot of the work going forward. Yeah. So Sujata, where can we, where can we watch Definition Please? So right now, Definition Please is doing the film festival circuit, obviously virtually, because we want everyone to be safe. And what we're doing at these specific film festivals is available in the region that uh, the festival is at. So for example, this week it's at Asian Cinevision and it's available to people in New York. So if you're in New York, you can watch the film. And uh, so we are also currently talking to buyers and streamers and distributors, and hopefully we will have an announcement soon. And you can find all of that information on Definition Please social media, where Instagram, Facebook, we're at Definition Please, and on Twitter, we're at D-E-F-N Please. And you can also follow me on social media at Sujata Day, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and all the information is also there. Can I can I just ask when when's it coming to the UK? I would love it to play in the UK. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, hopefully it'll get on a streamer and then it'll just be globally available. So look out for that kind of news as well in terms of distribution. Oh my eyes peeled. Don't worry. <laughs> Awesome. And then, yeah, thank you both so much for being here. We had a great time talking to you. Um, And thanks everyone for listening. So we hope you enjoyed that. And we're looking forward to diving deep into some more interesting topics with you guys. So Sujata, I think you mentioned this a bit, but let our listeners know where they can follow you. At Sujata Day, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And Rajiv, please let our listeners know where they can follow you at Rajiv Menon on Instagram and at Rajiv K. Menon on Twitter. Okay, awesome. And please feel free to send us any suggestions you have at culturedornot at gmail.com. Also, please don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at culturedornot. If you want to follow me, Shabnam, on Instagram, I'm at Shabnam Gulati, and Khan is at Khan Smash. Thanks for listening.